I'm going to turn now in our Bibles, I invite you to turn your Bibles, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. As we continue our study of 1 Corinthians, we come to chapter 12, verses 12 through 31 this morning. A little longer passage than we've often been handling, but this is all cohesive, all fits together here. So let's read now 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 31. This is the word of God, as he inspired the Apostle Paul to write. And so it is without error, as it was given to the Apostle. Again, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 31. For as the body is one, and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye... Where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now, God has set the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now, indeed, there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather... Those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet, I show you a more excellent way. And that sends the reading of God's holy word for us at this time. May we pray. Lord, we do thank you that you've given us this written word. And we pray now that you would open it to us. That as it is read, as it is preached we would understand and grow in our understanding and apply it well to our lives that we might serve you faithfully in Jesus' name. Amen. You'll notice that today's passage begins with the word for, not the preposition, but the conjunction. Uh, that, That means Paul is explaining things that he has already said. The things we learned last Sabbath, that uh, there is 
one spirit who gives many gifts to the church. Uh, that, that's true because or can be seen in the fact that uh, there are many members in the one body of Christ. And you'll notice that the first three verses of our reading all start with that same conjunction four. And so that kind of focuses the grammar down then on verse 14. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. So that's where we'll be starting today. The church is one body with many members. Well, since that's true, there are several principles which proceed from that fact. Number one, as we'll see today, no believer can say that he or she is independent of the body. Secondly, no believer can uh, deny that other true believers are in the same body. Third, members of the body need each other. Fourth, members of the body must honor each other. Fifth, uh, members of the body must care for each other. Sixth, members of the body uh, must sympathize with each other. Seventh, members of the body must rejoice for one another. And then finally, members of the body must use their various gifts for the good of the whole body. So our main point, though, is is that the church is one body with many members. One body made up of many members. Again, verse 14. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. As we see from verse 12, the body that Paul is talking about here is Christ's body. So here we're talking about the church. It is a uh, The body of Christ is a metaphor used in, in the New Testament for the church. In scriptures like Colossians 1.18, for example, we find it clearly stated that the church is Christ's body, and he is the head of the body, the church, Paul says. So there we know Christ is the head of the body, the body is the church. And notice that Christ isn't one head with hundreds of different bodies. He's one head with one body. There is one true church. So like a physical body, like an organism, Christ's body, the church, is made up of many members. The word member can confuse us sometimes a little bit because uh, because of the way it's used in the New Testament. We have come to think of it in our modern English as, as meaning just any person who belongs to an organization, that you're a member of that organization. But that kind of language actually comes from this biblical language of having church membership, that is that, that the church is made up of several members, and the word member means a body part. If you are dismembered, it means your body parts have become separated. Your big toe is a member of your body, as is your liver, and your heart, and your lungs, and your arms, and so on. Similar to a physical, biological body, the church is made up of various body parts, various members. And as an aside, I might say this is why it's, it's actually technically inappropriate to speak of the persons of the Godhead as members of the Trinity. Sometimes you'll hear even very orthodox people use that language. They're, they're slipping when they do that, and I might even have a slip of the tongue and say it once in a while. But technically it's wrong, because uh, if we called the Holy Spirit, for example, a member of the Trinity, we would be saying he's a body part, he's only part of the whole. As in, 
uh, rather than saying that, that he is all God. So that when we understand that in the, the doctrine of the Trinity, that each person of the Godhead is fully God, truly God. They possess the essence, the same essence of, of God's nature. But there is a distinction in personhood, not in being. Uh, we would be saying there's a distinction in being, in, a, in essence, if we said that there was a member of the Trinity. But a member is a body part. So just like in a physical, biological body, the church has lots of different body parts, lots of different members. And this is true of the universal church and also of its local expression in the local congregation. These body parts, these members of Christ's body, are individual believers in Christ. We see this in verse 13. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. So people from all kinds of different backgrounds, by that same spirit that we talked about last time, that gives gifts to the church, varying gifts to the different members. We've all been made, Paul says, to drink into one spirit. People from all sorts of backgrounds have been made into different body parts in the same body. No matter your background, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit has baptized you into the same body of Christ with all other believers. To apply Jesus' words from John 4, the Holy Spirit is a living Water that becomes a fountain springing up to everlasting life. To drink from him is never to thirst. Paul says we've all drunk from that same spirit. Every believer in Christ possesses that same Holy Spirit. Every believer is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And remember from last time, the Spirit has given different gifts to different believers. So that will go along with what Paul says in this passage, but in verse 11, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. And so individual Christians are like different body parts. We're not all the same. And Paul will go on here to say, well, what would a body be like if it was made up just of one part or one organ? There really wouldn't be a body there. It'd just be that one organ. There'd just be an eye. Here, each one has its own assigned abilities and functions has been given the ability to carry out that function that's what Paul explains in verse 12 for as the body is one and many members and has, for as the body is one and has many members but all the members of that one body being many are one body so also is Christ The church is one body made up of many members. That's the main point of this passage. Because that's true, we do see that several principles follow that Paul talks about in these verses. Number one, no believer can say that he or she is independent of the body. This again is true whether we're talking about the universal church or the local expression, the local congregation. Verses 15 through 20. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? He's asking, just because it says so, does that make it true? No. Right? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? 
If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? You know, if you found a severed hand on the sidewalk while you're walking down the street, you wouldn't say, look at that human body. You'd say, hey, look, there's a hand. <laughs> where would the body be if, we were, if there was just one organ? Right? Paul says in verse 20, but now indeed there are many members, yet one body. Sadly, there's been a, a tragic sort of libertarian, a sinfully independent streak uh, in American Christianity that encourages some to stay aloof from the church, to stay out of church membership and involvement. But just like the foot cannot say, well, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, the ear can't say, I'm, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, you cannot in truth say that you are not a part of the body, maybe because you're not an elder or uh, because... Uh, You don't have some gifts that you recognize in someone else. As we saw last time, the Holy Spirit gives different gifts. He gives gifts to each believer. Uh, They are not the same as the gifts that are given necessarily to the next believer. It's not going to be the same from one person to the next. The same would be true of your body. It would be pretty weird if your fingers could do the function of your pancreas. Right? That's that they wouldn't be able to perform their actual function. You don't have to be a gifted teacher to be able uh, to be of use to the church. You don't have to be uh, able to present or have the gifts for diaconal ministry to be part of the church. And we cannot all have the same gifts or functions. Where would the church be if we did? Don't deny yourself and the gifts that God has given you to the rest of the body. We can't all be the church treasurer, but we need one. We're not all good at serving meals or fixing the church's plumbing, but it's pretty nice when we have somebody who can do those things. As we'll see, those varying gifts should be used. Maybe your gift is one that, that isn't very visible to others. Maybe you're one of those people who can spend more time in prayer privately. Maybe you're good at at organizing events behind the scenes. Just because I can't see my liver doesn't mean it isn't important. I need it to function the way a liver is supposed to function to be able to stay alive. No believer can say that she or he is independent of the body. Secondly, no believer can deny that other believers are in the body. So this is kind of the other side of that same coin. I can't say I'm independent of the body, nor can I say if you are a true believer that you're not in the same body with me. So this is the other side of that coin of this maybe sinful type of independence that I mentioned. Certainly there are people who claim to be Christians, but whose fruit or lack thereof uh, shows us that uh, their claim is not true. And so that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's not talking about false professors, uh, saying that you have to consider yourself in the same body with everybody who says, I'm a Christian. But we're talking about those who believe the true gospel and they're evidencing that through the fruits that they bear. 
No believer can deny that other true believers are in the same body of Christ. Verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. We need each other. No matter how obvious your gifts, no matter your function in the church, you cannot say that uh, you don't need the rest of the congregation or the rest of the universal church. You can't even say that you don't need those people whose gifts may be less showy and less obvious. No believer can deny that other believers are in the same body. The third thing we see here is members of the body need each other then. Verse 22, No much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. Every part of your body is necessary. Yes, you can live a little more easily without your pinky finger than you can live without your heart. But you'll still be maimed if you lose your pinky. And you won't function, your body won't function as it's designed to function without it. Obviously a church needs a pastor. But what, would, what good would it do to have a pastor if there was no one for him to shepherd? You know, there have been some kind of weird, heretical churches that have just been made up totally of bishops. And they, they have no congregations. What's the point? What would a preacher do with no one to hear him preach? What would you do without the other people in the church to come alongside of you? Members of the body need each other. Fourth, members of the body must honor each other. In verse 23 and 24, Paul writes, And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable... On these we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it. So Paul also, of course, here is counseling uh, some, a remedy for some of the division and problems that we've seen, uh, that we've talked about thus far in this letter, uh, where we see that some are refusing to honor others. They maybe see themselves as superior Maybe the gifts they have they think are more are superior. Maybe I speak in tongues, but you don't, so I'm superior to you. And Paul says you should actually honor the one that you think looks more inferior more than you would honor yourself. We have parts of our bodies which are, in Paul's words, less honorable. But they're very necessary body parts. You'll be reminded of that the next time you take a trip to the restroom. These are parts that you need What do we do with those parts? Those less honorable parts of our bodies. They're they're not honorable enough that we want to to parade them around in public, right? But we honor them all the more by covering them up then. We keep them out of sight from prying eyes. We protect them. Likewise, it's easy for us to honor people with very obvious gifts in the church. Great preachers get a lot of praise. Just praying a little while ago about the passing of a man from our denomination who was truly a great preacher. 
Gordon Ketty. It was a pleasure to hear him preach. And I'm sure you can still find his sermons on Sermon Audio. And he's gotten plenty of praise for it. And it was deserved. You know, wise elders get praised. Faithful deacons may not get as much notice as the wise elders, but they're often praised. But we should make sure to honor all. For all Christians have a necessary function in the church. The less obviously gifted should be all the more honored, protected by the church, just as the more obviously gifted are. Members of the body must honor each other. Number five, members of the body must care for each other. Verse 25, that there should be no schism in the body, so no no breaking up of the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. John MacArthur aptly notes, God has designed visible public gifts to have a crucial place, but equally designed and more vital to the life are the hidden gifts, thus maintaining the perspective of unity. All are essential to the working of the body of Christ. How healthy would your body be if uh, the fingers just stopped doing their part in keeping your body healthy and alive? What about the pancreas? Now you're diabetic. What about the heart? Now you're dead. So some are harder to do without than others. Some are impossible to live without, but all are important for the health of the whole body. All are needed for the functioning of that healthy body. And this is something that has been discovered recently, uh, or more recently. We know that what maybe a century ago doctors would have said are just vestigial organs left over from your evolution. You don't need them. You don't need an appendix. Well, your appendix actually plays a pretty important role in your immune system and things like that, particularly in the development. So even if you've got a body part that you don't use so much now, you maybe used it in the womb, and it was really necessary for you to have it. Your uh, tailbone is not a vestigial organ left over from your ancestors who had tails. It's incredibly important. You need it. It anchors all kinds of muscles and nerves and things like that. Those functions I mentioned when you go to the restroom earlier, those are pretty hard if you don't have a tailbone. How healthy would your body be if just a part of it decided, I'm not going to work for the rest of the body anymore? All of your body parts are needed for the functioning of a healthy body. And in a healthy body, all of the members are uh, necessary. They have to do their part to maintain the health of the rest. Likewise, in the church, the different members have to care for the other members. Members of the body must care for each other. The way we do that in the church, of course, as this gets fleshed out more in the New Testament, is that that we come alongside each other in our times of trouble in particular. We do things for one another's health. We we encourage each other in our walks so that we become more Christ-like. Members of the body must care for each other. Sixth, members of the body must sympathize with each other. Now, in recent decades, the concept of sympathy has really gotten a bad rap. Uh, It's been looked upon as maybe condescending, arrogant to sympathize 
with somebody and people will say, I don't want your sympathy, I want your empathy. Right? And so in its place, this concept of empathy has been kind of promoted. Uh, empathy means suffering in. And so the, the, it's a concept that you have to get into someone else's position and feel what they're feeling with them, not just feeling for them. But interestingly, the people who often put forward the notion that you shouldn't have sympathy, you should have empathy, are thinking in a very pluralistic and postmodern way, in which they'll say that uh, you can't actually really know what somebody else's experiences are. So if I can't really know what your experiences are, how in the world can I actually empathize with you? It becomes illogical and shoots itself in the foot, so to speak. Well, to an extent, it might be true that I can't really know your experiences. That, but we do know that there is objective truth. And objective truth does not cease to exist or be knowable. The postmodernist has painted himself into a corner promoting empathy over sympathy while at the same time saying empathy is rarely if ever possible. <laughs> well, I may not be able to get into your head and know exactly how you feel. But I can come alongside you. I can perhaps imagine how would I feel if I were in that situation and thus practice the golden rule doing unto others as I would have them do unto me. Uh, but I can come alongside you in your suffering and love you that's all sympathy means. It means suffering with. That's not a bad thing. Think of Job's friends when they come and sit with him in silence for days while he suffered. As many Bible scholars have pointed out, the problem comes when they start talking in the book of Job. But they just come and they just sit with him. They, they hadn't experienced what he experienced. They didn't literally know what it felt like to lose their children and their livelihood and their health all at, all at once and be sitting there in sackcloth and ashes wondering what the Lord was going to do to you next. But they just came and they sat with him. They came alongside of him and they loved him in his suffering. Even, to be fair, even when they, they are wrong later on and they say, well, God must have, uh, you must have done something to anger God, Job to bring this on yourself, what was going on there. And they were wrong about that. But even in that, to be fair, they were, they were trying to help Job. They thought, well, maybe Job has a sin he needs to repent of. Let's, let's help him find out what it is. But they were coming alongside of him. They were suffering with him. That's what sympathy is. The first part of verse 26, And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. We have to sympathize with each other. If part of your body is injured, your whole body suffers. When I had bronchitis a while back, it didn't affect just my bronchial tubes. That was where the, the, the pain and the, the discomfort was concentrated, yes, but I felt sick all over. My other body parts sympathized with my bronchial tubes. Likewise, we must sympathize with our suffering brothers and sisters. Members of the body must sympathize with each other. The reverse of that is also true. Number seven, uh, members of the body must rejoice with one another. That's the second part of verse 26. 
Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. When I had that bronchitis, I concentrated on, on being able to, to breathe more freely. I had some prescriptions, medicines, and I had a, an inhaler, things like that. And when I recovered, my whole body rejoiced. Well, likewise, we have to be like that. We have to rejoice when good things happen to other members of Christ's body. We shouldn't be envious, we shouldn't be jealous, we shouldn't begrudge them those things. We should rejoice. Look at what God has done for you, even if he hasn't done it for me. It's none of my business why, he has, why he's done it for you and not for me. There's no room for envy in Christ's body. I rejoice with you, I should rejoice with you when God does good for you. Members of the body must rejoice with one another. And finally, number eight, members of the body must use the various gifts that they have for the good of the whole body. Just as the various parts of your body need to be performing their duty, they need to be performing the part that they're designed to do, the function for which they were built by God, if you're going to be healthy, each of us has to perform our function, use the gifts that God has given us, do our part for the good of the whole church. That's verses 27 and 28. Now, you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, variety of tongues. The apostles laid the foundation of the New Testament church. They wrote or endorsed the documents that are in the New Testament, the actual scriptures. Other prophets guided the church while the New Testament was being written. Agabus, who warns the people of Antioch that there's going to be a famine, it's going to hit Judea particularly hard, and they need to send gifts to Judea. Uh, Some also wrote scriptures with the apostles' endorsement, so in the sense of somebody who receives revelation from God, we might consider Mark or Luke to be a prophet. But also God gave and continues to give gifted teachers, expositors of his word to the church, As we saw last time before the New Testament was completed, God gave extraordinary signs that confirmed the people who were speaking for him, particularly those who would be writing the New Testament. Miracles and gifts of healing. He also gave less publicly acclaimed but very necessary gifts. Helps, Paul speaks of here. This is the kind of gift necessary for Uh, leadership in ministry for diaconal ministry rather but it's not given exclusively to those who are to be deacons in the church it's the gift of serving others administrations he talks about or we could translate that as governings that could include leadership gifts that's what I was trying to get at or or mistakenly got out a minute ago Uh, gifts for organizing things Uh, It would include things that elders might do, but also what event organizers do. You know, I can I can do these, perform this gift, if you will, or exercise this gift in terms of moderating a session meeting. But ask me to organize a church dinner, and it won't get organized. (laughs) It won't it won't be right. There there will be a lot of things that get missed unless. I use my brain and go to some of you who I know have a better gift for that and say, hey, could you handle organizing this? Or what would you do if you were in my shoes? What are women's fellowship do? Are they 
organize funeral dinners, that sort of thing, I wouldn't know where to start. But that's a gift that some have. It, it can include what a presenter does even in helping us stay organized in terms of worship, having orderly worship. A church secretary, if we had one, would fall maybe into this category. My wife used to be one, and she has a friend who's everywhere she moves, no matter where she goes, she ends up as the church secretary. It's because she has that particular gift. Her treasurer. Paul asks, verses 29 and 30, Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Obviously the answer to that is no. We wouldn't be much good to each other if we all had identical gifts. If we all had the same offices and functions in the church, we'd be like a body made up only of eyes. And without a stomach and a circulatory system, what's going to happen to the eye pretty soon? What good would that do? Rather, therefore, than focusing on uh, who has the flashier gifts, Paul tells the Corinthians, but earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. As we'll see later, that more excellent way is the way of love. Members of the body must use their various gifts for the good of the whole church. The church is one body, made up of many members. None of us is independent from it, and none of us can do without the others. Like the various parts of a biological body, we need each other. We can't reject others as necessary or as unnecessary any more than your eye can say to your hand, I don't need you. Therefore, honor your fellow Christians as necessary and vital parts of the same body. Care for them. Suffer with them when they suffer. Rejoice with them when they're honored. And use the gifts that God has given you for the good of the whole body. Let's pray. Lord our God, we thank you that you have made each believer a member of the same body of Christ. Grant that we might each perform our function as a part of the whole, not trying to be independent, but recognizing that each of us is needed and that we each need the rest. Help us to honor each other, care for each other, and sympathize with each other, as well as rejoice with each other. Grant that we may each use our gifts for the good of the whole body, in the name of our head, Jesus Christ. Amen.